0: You're listening to a presentation of The Rising. We're a real church for real people where you can belong before you believe. We're always honored to hear how God is working in your life through this ministry. If you have a story you'd like to share with us, hit us up at wearetherising.com or on Facebook or Instagram. Finally, if you'd like to invest in what God's doing through this church, you can always give online through our site. Thanks again for tuning in, and get ready, lean forward with an expectant attitude to hear a message from God's Word. Last year was 2018, in case you didn't know, and last year was a year of many firsts for myself, for my wife. For the first time, and I think only time maybe, I don't know, we became the parents of a two-year-old Uh, Luna turned two last year, and anybody that has kids knows that's a wild journey in and of itself. For the first time, and only time, we celebrated six years of marriage (laughs) together. Yeah, you can clap for that. Six years of marriage. We've actually been together ten years now. That's crazy. That's a decade of being with the same person. Our relationship is a fifth grader. But last year, something else happened to me, though. Something that I never thought would happen. It was crazy. I saw it happen to all kinds of people. I saw it happen to my parents. I saw it happen to people in this church. I even saw it happen to my wife. And it was something that I thought was so unattainable, I just never thought that it would happen to me. Last year, I turned 30. I know, right? Hold your applause. Crazy. But I turned 30. Three decades of being on this big blue pebble of a planet. Three decades of being in this amazing, beautiful, country, it's crazy, it's insane, and sometimes I feel like I know less now than I knew when I was 15, but really that's not true. When you're 15, you think you know how the world works, and then as you age, you learn you really have no idea how the world works, and you're trying to figure it out one day at a time, and that's insanely cliche to say, but it's 100% true. Any 15-year-olds in here, take note, you don't know anything. Um, But 30 years, and so I figured I turned 30, and this would be a good time to pick up a new habit, a new hobby, right? 30 years old, it's a big milestone for people, so I want to do something different, I want to learn something new. People have stuff that they enjoy, right? So people, some people like riding bikes, some people like collecting things, some people like to play sports, play video games, which I do that too, but it's not about this. Some people like to scrapbook, right? I, is that still a thing? Do people still scrapbook? No? I don't know. I've never scrapbooked in my life, but apparently it used to be a thing. We used to talk about it in movies and things like that. But people have something they enjoy, and so I wanted to find something that I really enjoyed, that really just I could throw myself into, and I found it. Last year, when I turned 30, and since then, I have become a gun enthusiast. I love shooting guns. Now, I'm not here to talk about politics about guns. We can do that some other time if you want. That's fine. We can have that conversation. I'm not here to do that today. Not here to change your views on guns. Not here to convince you to get a gun. None of that stuff. I'm just telling you, I went, I shot a gun for the first time, and I enjoyed it. There's nothing that beats blowing up a paper man right in the face in the range and the smell of gunpowder. That is so much fun to me. I loved it. And I wanted to learn as much as I could, get my hands on as many guns as I could to try them out. Rifles, pistols, potato guns, whatever it is, I want to shoot guns. I love guns. It's incredible. But what I found out is, I guess I already knew this too, but there's an entire gun community out there that exists. Like there's a whole community of people that love guns. And I'm talking about they're everywhere. They're online. I joined some online forums and they're awesome, right? They're the most nicest People you will ever meet. If you go to a range and you talk to the people at the range, they're super nice people. I think that's because they all have the power to kill each other. So they're super nice to each other because they know that they can each blow each other away, but they're the nicest people ever. And if you have questions about anything, they're there to help you out, right? What type of ammo do you like? What type of holsters do you like? What type of gun do you use in this situation? What type of gun do you use for this? And what's the best way to hold? They're there to answer your questions. Online forums, you post a question, boom, thousands and thousands of answers immediately because there's this whole community out there that exists to help each other be better at handling your gun. Gun safety, gun tactics, all that stuff. What's really cool, though, about this group is this community is made up of some of the most diverse people you will ever see. If you go to a range, you'll see people of all colors, all ethnicities, all races, all different styles of jobs, all different styles of backgrounds, uh, different places where they live, whether it's the city or the country, and all different types of political biases. It's amazing. They're all very different but yet they're all united under the same idea and when you're talking with them you have no idea their background you don't know where they came from what's brought them to that point and you don't care you're just talking to them because you want to learn more about whatever topic you're talking about at that very moment it's incredible and they draw you in and when you are new to the community they're super excited to have you welcome to our club here's what you've been missing And although everything that I just said is 100% true, it's absolutely true about gun shops, stores, the people that go to the ranges, that's all 100% true. How many of you know that I did not come here to talk to you today about guns? I came here to talk to you about us, about the church, about church with a capital C. See, what I just described, this type of environment is the environment that we are as a church, and that's been our goal since the very beginning. This is a place where when you come through those doors, you can belong before you believe. Regardless of your background, regardless of what you have going on in your life, we want you to know that you are cared for, you are loved, not just by us, but by the God who created you, by the God who has a plan for your life. We exist as a church to see you become greater greater at being a spouse, greater at being a parent, greater at being an employee a greater boss, a greater friend, a greater neighbor. Whatever it is, we exist as a church to see you become greater because we believe that when you operate with God at the center of your life, there are incredible things that you'll be able to do that you never thought possible. And you'll be able to do them for and with God. And it's amazing. And this has really been the goal since the beginning of the church. We see this at the very beginning of the church. In the book of Acts, we have documented what's uh, known as the start of the church. And we see this exact thing in the Bible at this time. Uh, Acts 2:42 through 47 describes how it was when the church first got its start. So here's what it says. It's so great. Acts 2:42 through 47 says this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now there's a lot going on in this verse, so to kind of give us a little context, what had happened right before this verse was Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, was preaching to a group of thousands of people. And what he was doing was telling them the story of Jesus, how Jesus came, how he lived, how he died, and how he was risen again from death, how he defeated death. And in that preaching, at the very end, 3,000 people decided to be baptized all on the same day. Can you imagine if we had 3,000 people in this room right now? Let alone having 3,000 people get baptized at the same time. But just having 3,000 people in this room, wouldn't that be amazing? Other than... Not very much room to move around, but wouldn't that be great Where so many people came to hear the message of God and hear a message of inspiration and hope and love? I digress. So 3,000 people were baptized, and this is the start of what we know as the church. Acts 2.42 immediately follows their response to get baptized. Baptism, by the way, is the moment where you decide, I'm going to follow God. I'm going to choose to live for God rather than for myself. And so you are fully immersed into the water and then lifted out of the water a brand new creation. And that's what it means to get baptized. And so 3,000 people this happened to on the same day. And then what does it say? Verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. You know what's interesting is they all got baptized, and then their response was immediately we need to be in community. None of them had the response of, all right, I got baptized. Thanks so much, guys. It was a great message. Appreciate you. Uh, I'm going to go work on me now. My relationship is with God. Uh, It's personal. Don't ask me about it. It's my relationship. I won't ask you. You don't ask me. It's mine. It's mine and mine alone. So I'm going to go work on me. See you guys. No. Didn't say that. Didn't do that. No. They all joined together. They said, yo. And they said that. Yo. This, we got to figure out together. We gotta be in this together. This is some crucial stuff. We gotta learn this together and we gotta be around each other. Right. Hence the breaking of bread. In layman's terms, that means they had food together, they had meals together. Now, I don't know about you, but anytime food is involved, it usually makes a situation much easier, especially if it's a heavy conversation that you're gonna have with somebody. If food is there, great. Especially like today, if you go to a big game party, then if there's food there, and you're not really sure about the people, but you heard there's going to be some banging food, then you're going to be at that party, and you don't care who's there, because you're eating some delicious hot dogs, hamburgers, nachos, and all that kind of stuff, and you don't care. Food makes everything easier. So what happens? They ate together on a daily basis, 46 through 47. Look at that again. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Every day they continued to meet together. Every day they broke bread in their homes and ate together. Every single day. They took this idea of community so seriously that they made it a point to meet and eat together every single day and look what the result was. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So each day, they got together. Each day, they ate together. And each day, they had come. They had people come to see what was going on because they saw something that was so different about this group of people. What is it about this group of people that they meet every single day? This is a group of people that have hope. This is a group of people that have mercy, that have love, And they don't just talk about it, but they do it. They're meeting every single day. What is this that you have? Whatever it is, whatever you're about, I want to be about that. These people saw Jesus reflected in the lives of that community, and they said, I don't know what it is, but I want in. You got it, and I want in. Can you imagine if we mirrored this today? I remember years ago, I was sitting in a living room in a small group, and it was the church that we were a part, to- part of at the time. Pastor James was actually leading the small group, and I don't remember the initial topic of discussion, but I remember that we got to this verse, and we read through this section of verses, and Pastor James looked up at the group, and he said, what if we did that? What if we said, instead of meeting once a week, we met every single day? And I can imagine that the, you already know the responses, because you're most likely thinking that in your head, a lot of the responses were, ooh, I don't know about every day. I mean, I got work most days, five days out of the week, and I'm kind of tired after that, so I don't know if I could do that. Ooh, I don't know, every day, my schedule is weird, I got weird work hours, I don't work five days a week, it's only part-time, but you know, I got, I I, I can maybe do two or three days at the most, I'm involved in all these extracurricular things, or oof, every day, man, I can handle some of y'all's faces like once a day. Once a week, you know, twice a week. I'll give you three times a week, but i got to see your face every day. I don't think so. And I think I was even one of those people that had those responses because I was like, every single day? No, I don't want to see you guys' face every single day. But I think what happened is that we all kind of missed one of the most profound verses in that section. To me, it's one of the most profound verses in the entire Bible. And we already read it, and you probably missed it because I know I've done the same thing before. Acts 2.44, one of the most profound verses. All the believers were together and had everything in common. All the believers were together and had everything, everything, everything in common. This verse is only ten words. Some of you have probably read it before. In fact, I know you have if you've been coming to this church because we've read it as a church before. And if you're like me, you've read it many times and you've missed just how amazing it was. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Now, when this verse says everything, it's not talking about everything in the sense that you and I would say everything, right? This is a group of 3,000 people. You think they were all carpenters? No, you think they all like to sand and drill and cut and whittle wood and whatever else you do with wood? No. think they all had the same interests? No. Some of them probably like to play sports. Some of them probably like to teach. Some of them probably like to learn. Some of them like to shoot bow and arrows because they didn't have guns then, so they had to make do. Some of them probably like to dig holes. I don't know. They had different things to do back then. Maybe they enjoyed digging. Do you think they all had the same political ideas and affiliations? No. 3,000 people? Are you kidding me? I guarantee you, you get 3,000 people in a room. I don't care if they all identify as red, blue, green, purple, violet, orange, or indigo. You're going to find something politically that they disagree on. So what does this mean? What does this mean that they were together and had everything in common? Well, I think it means that everything else was just background noise to the reason that they were together in the first place see they were together because they had heard a message of unity they'd heard a message of inspiration they'd heard a message of hope they heard a message of peace they heard a message of grace of mercy and most of all they heard a message of love they heard of the story of jesus and his teachings and how he lived a perfect life and then died a death that you and i deserve but so that we wouldn't have to die that death and so we could spend eternity with him not just then and there but here and now we can live life to the full this is what they heard this is what they knew this is what it means when they had everything in common. This is what you and I have in common as believers in Christ, as followers of Christ, as those who have been baptized into a relationship with him. That's what that means. At the end of the day, at the end of your life, the end of the world, that's all that matters. Everything else, well, who cares? Now, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying there aren't things that are important in addition to that. I'm not saying that there aren't things we should fight against. I'm not saying there aren't things like injustices that happen in the world. This world is made up of imperfect people who do imperfect things, you and I included. But if we allow him, God can use us as instruments to fight those injustices. And we should. We should absolutely fight those injustices. And we believe this as a church. Since the very beginning, we have partnered with several strategic organizations to fight those injustices that exist in this world. One example is the A21 campaign. We've talked about this before. We've given them money. We've come alongside them in their campaign because they exist to eradicate the world of slavery. Slavery is not a problem that happened in the history books. Slavery is a problem presently. It's a huge issue, and in fact, there are more slaves today than there were during the Atlantic slave trade. History books don't tell you that, but it's a fact. And human trafficking, which is a major problem in this area and all over the world, doesn't care what race you are, doesn't care what age you are, doesn't care what gender you are. It affects all kinds of people, and none of it is okay. None of it is all right. No human being should ever be bought or sold, period. A21 believes that, and so does the rising. And so we've come alongside them in their fight to end human trafficking, to end slavery. So yes, there are injustices in this world, and yes, you should totally fight those injustices. Stand up for people that can't stand up for themselves. But when it comes to us as believers, people who have accepted Christ, we have to remember that we have everything in common, and there are things out there that's not worth fighting about, especially when we can agree that Jesus came, lived, and died, and rose again. We have everything in common, and everything in common doesn't mean that we have the same lifestyle, we enjoy the same hobbies, or that we back the same politician or the side of the aisle. Everything in common means that despite the things that we don't agree on, despite the things that we don't see eye to eye on, We have been given a mission and a directive, and that is to serve God by loving his people. All kinds of people. In fact, Jesus actually modeled this for us long before the writer of Acts wrote the verses that we talked about. We see this to be true with the people he chose as his disciples. A lot of those guys were just regular dudes doing regular jobs, but they weren't all the same. It was a very different group of people. His disciples was made up of 12 guys. And the first couple guys that he chooses, Simon, a.k.a. Peter, Peter's the guy we talked about at the beginning, and his brother Andrew, they're fishermen. Cool, simple, crucial work for the community, crucial work for their families. Then he picks up James and John, also fishermen. All right, great. This is awesome. But then he starts to pick up a few more people, and some of them we don't really have a history on, but we can kind of guess at some of their jobs. Most likely they were common jobs that you would find throughout the streets as you're walking down. Uh, And the, the guys that he picked, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Thaddeus, if you're looking for a boy's name, there you go, James, and Judas. Judas probably had some monetary backgrounds. He ended up being the treasurer for the disciples. But most likely, these guys all had simple, common jobs. Okay, fishermen, some are family, some aren't. Great. But Jesus isn't done yet. Jesus wants to show us what it means that we have everything in common, regardless of who we are and regardless of our backgrounds. And so the next guy he picks up is Matthew, the tax collector. Whoa, 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 wait a second. There's a tax collector in the group of disciples that Jesus picked? A tax collector? That's not okay. You know why this is a big deal? Tax collectors were seen as some of the lowest of the low at that time. Tax collectors were Hebrew people collecting Roman taxes from their very own Hebrew people. See, the Hebrews were under Roman oppression, and so they would hire Hebrews who were willing to work for them to go and collect the taxes that the Romans would impose on those people. But what they would do is they wouldn't just collect the taxes. They would collect the taxes and then some. So they would pocket the money. And people knew what they were doing. But because they had the backing of the Roman government, there was nothing people could do about it. So tax collectors were skimming off the top. They'd give the taxes to the Romans. Cool, they're covered. But now they've got extra money to work with. And they don't have to pay taxes. In fact, they probably make up for all their taxes and more with the money that they have stolen and cheated people out of. But Jesus comes along, sees Matthew, knows who Matthew is because he's Jesus. He knows who everybody is and what they're doing. And he says, come follow me. And from that point on, Matthew gets up and he's one of the gang. He's one of the disciples. And by the way, there's a very good chance that those disciples that he joined were some of the people that he had cheated. But now he's in that group of 12 disciples. But Jesus doesn't stop there. Jesus picks up another guy walking down the street. Let's pick up Simon the Zealot. Now, if Facebook was alive and well back in the day... Simon would have been the guy you guys all would have blocked. Because Simon would have been posting all kinds of craziness, all kinds of political stuff, conspiracy theories, schemes, this person, why you shouldn't vote for this person, why you should destroy this person, all this stuff. He was a zealot. Most likely he was a politician himself or some kind of revolutionary who believed in anarchy. No government is better than this Roman government. And that was his role. That's what he would do. He was a zealot and he would live his life to fight against this government. But Jesus comes along. Jesus knows this. He's probably not the favorite guy amongst these people before. But Jesus knows his background and says, come follow me. From that point on, Simon follows Jesus. He remains a zealot. But his allegiance is to Jesus first and foremost, rather than the political revolution that he was a part of. And I think too often we focus on what our differences are. Rather than what brings us together. If you look at the disciples, yeah. If you look at the disciples, that's a huge difference between those guys. You've got fishermen, and then you've got a guy who is stealing from those fishermen. Too often we focus on the things that differ between us, the things that cause disunity, the things that divide us, rather than what unites us, what can bring us together. What do we have in common? What common ground can we establish? What can we move forward on? A lot of times we base our entire opinion on somebody based on one post that they put on Facebook, one picture that they shared, one sentence that they say, and then we write off that person and say, well, I can never have anything to do with them because they believe such and such. Or, well, I don't want anything to do with them because they back blah, blah, blah. And that's what it is, blah, 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 because who cares? But we write them off based on one thing that we've seen and we focus on, on this dividing thing, this divisive issue. If we are united in this goal, this mission of showing who Jesus is, then we need to act like, first and foremost, it's changed our lives and we should be different. And we need to stop being so divisive about things that aren't important. Or maybe they're kind of important, but not nearly as important as believing and knowing that Jesus has died for your sins and has a better Plan for your life. Paul talks about this. Paul wrote most of the New Testament. But before he was Paul, Paul was Saul. Clever, right? Saul was somebody who persecuted Christians. He would go around and he would kill them. He was happy about it. He was stoked. This was his job. Christian killer. And he's actually on the road to kill Christians. And who should show up? Jesus. Blinded. By Jesus, blinded by the light. I got skills. But he's blinded for three days, and in this interaction, as a result, Saul changes to Paul, and Paul has a brand new directive, a brand new mission. Now he's dedicated his life to the teachings of Jesus, to Jesus' ministry, to furthering his message, and to being a church planter. So he's going around and he's planting churches. One of the churches that he planted was in the city of Corinth. And as he's out and on his travels and planting other churches, he gets some correspondence about Corinth and some things that are going on. And he's not very excited about it because it's not good news. He gets a message and he's hearing about all this crap that all these people at the church are doing. Believers, followers of Christ are engaged in battles, and they're suing each other. And so he writes them what we have as 1 Corinthians. And he hits them pretty hard with some verses. 1 Corinthians 6, 1 through 11, says this. If any of you has a dispute with another, do you dare to take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the Lord's people? Or do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, do you ask for a ruling from those whose way of life is scorned in the church? I say this to shame you. Bring it, Paul. Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers, but instead one brother takes another to court and this in front of unbelievers? The very fact you have lawsuits among you means you have been completely defeated already. Completely defeated. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers and sisters or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were Notice that Paul here is talking about transformation, real life change, real life transformation that is possible through Jesus. That is what some of you were. You are no longer that. You no longer identify as that. You now identify as what God calls you, not what the world calls you, but what God has called you to be. That is what some of you were, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Basically, Paul is saying, WTF guys, what are you doing? What are you doing? You guys can't get along. You can't agree to just disagree. You have these ridiculous disputes. We're going to judge angels, and you can't figure out this bogus stuff. Are you serious? Hey, by the way, do you guys remember where you came from? Because all y'all were jacked up. And you're still not perfect. But hey, got news for you. You've been sanctified. You've been saved. You are now what God calls you to be. You have everything in common. There's no need for this garbage. Remember that Jesus has saved you. Don't forget Jesus came to save all you. And there are people in this world who look at us currently, speaking now, then and now, there are people who look at us in this world, and they should see a reflection of Jesus in what we do. If someone doesn't identify as a Christian, we should not give them the means to look at Christians and say, wow, look at those crazies. They can't even agree on what they agree on. This doesn't only apply to Facebook, politics this applies to the church as well a lot of times we focus on these small minute details things that aren't important or maybe they're kind of important but they don't matter in the grand scheme of things we meet here so that we can live in community with each other that's why we come here and sometimes we have to be reminded of the path that God has laid out for us Because he has a path laid out for us, we just have to follow his principles. We just have to take the actual steps. It doesn't just happen. We have to walk along that path. And we have to remember that we have everything in common. But sometimes, and it's part of the responsibility of Pastor James and anybody else who gets on the stage or preaches from the screen, to call out some of the harsh realities of this world and also to call out some of the harsh behaviors and things that maybe some of us are engaging in. And we don't use this platform to call out people specifically, but we do call out things that happen. And sometimes that's hard to hear. And so sometimes people get mad and they leave. And this doesn't just happen to our church. It happens all over the churches. But people hear something that challenges them, challenges them, calls them to something greater, calls them to be something greater, but it means they have to give up something that's just so comfortable. And so they say, I'm going to find someplace else. So they leave this church and they go to another church or they leave another church and they come to this church. And sometimes when people leave this church and go to another church and sometimes when people leave another church and come to this church, it's for some pretty ridiculous reasons. Well, the music wasn't really my style, so I couldn't go there. You know, my old church, they used to vote on things and I like to vote and have a say and so I wish we would vote. I'm going to find a church that votes on things. Uh, I don't really like that we do communion every week. My old church didn't do communion every week, so I'm going to find a church that only does it on Easter and Christmas. I don't really like that message. didn't feed me. Hey, you're an adult. Feed yourself. I don't like that that church talks about money so much. I got news for you. If you don't like how much we talk about money or what we have to say about money, then you probably don't like what Jesus is talking about because Jesus talks about money a whole lot and everything that we say from this stage is typically something that Jesus already said about money. So if you don't like what we have to say, you can tell that to Jesus. We focus on the small, minutiae, meaningless details and here's what we forget. We forget that there are people this very minute going to hell. It's a reality. There are people going to hell. And our focus should be on them. Can you imagine if the disciples would have had their feelings hurt? What the church would have looked like? Can you imagine what that's like? Most likely, we wouldn't be sitting in here today. Most likely, the church wouldn't exist as we know it. And what's great is we actually have an awesome example of this happening in the Bible. Da! Imagine that. You read your Bible, you see all kinds of stuff. Yeah? Matthew chapter 16, there's a great example of this happening. Jesus is talking with his disciples, and Peter, who always opens his mouth when he shouldn't, has something to say. But he's talking with his disciples. And he's telling him what's going to happen. And he's talking about the future, because he's Jesus, and he knows what that looks like. And he's predicting his own death. And Peter's like, uh, I don't want to hear that. I don't like that. And we see what he says in Matthew 16, verse 22. Here's what he says. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Jesus then gives his response in verse 23. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. I'd imagine that this is the point where other disciples looked at each other and kind of dropped their jaws like, oh, snap, things just got real. And then Peter kind of turns, looks at them, Face all red, all embarrassed, quietly goes and hides behind Jesus as he continues his preaching. Don't look at me. Sorry, guys. I also imagine the disciples, being a bunch of guys, probably gave Peter hell for this, right? From that point on, Peter comes up to the gang. Hey, guys, uh, man, it's been a really great day. It's getting kind of late though, so we should probably get to bed. Get behind me, Satan! I don't want to hear that. Haha, <laughs> uh-huh, that's funny, guys. I remember I was there. Appreciate it. They all sit down together, having a meal. Peter's there. Hey, Bartholomew, can you, uh, can you pass us all? Get behind me, Satan! Don't need that sodium chloride in here. Get out of here. Can you imagine if that happened today? If a pastor were to call out a specific behavior or a specific action that somebody who just so happened to be listening was doing, I'd imagine that if that was you or me or most of us in this room, we'd probably take that and we would be upset by it, right? We'd leave. That pastor called me Satan. (sighs) But I wonder if a better response would be the response that Peter had. See, Peter took that criticism and he moved forward with it. Peter took that criticism and said, I'm going to change, I'm going to do something with that. In fact, a few verses earlier, Jesus had been talking with Peter and he told Peter, you're going to be the guy that I start my church on. Essentially, he said, you're going to be the first church planter. And that's exactly what we see happening in Acts. The same guy Jesus called Satan Preaches to a group of 3,000 people, and 3,000 people on that day get baptized, and then they meet in community, and they eat together, and what did they have? Everything in common. Everything doesn't mean everything, it means we're united and unified as brothers and sisters in Christ. We have the same goal, the same directive, the same mission. Stop being offended over things that are divisive and start operating with Jesus at the helm of everything you do. If you wanna disagree with somebody, that's fine. Disagree. There's a right way and a wrong way to do that. You can disagree cordially. You can have a discussion. don't like what someone has to say just don't listen to it or you can engage but engage in a loving way if you don't like what somebody says or posts on Facebook got something I can show you how to do it's real easy to fix it take this finger right here push up on the screen keep scrolling keep scrolling move along move along And even when your hope is gone, move along, move along, just to make it through, move along. When everything is wrong, we move along. But an even better option? Don't get mad. Don't get offended. Offense is an event. Offended is a decision. You don't have to get offended. Don't let someone make you mad. I'll never forget what my 11th grade science teacher told me. It was great. It was in high school, so obviously there was a kid acting up. No, it wasn't me. But he looked at the class after some stuff went down. And he said, if I can make you mad, I have control over you. Gotta tell you, that stuck with me way more than the Pythagorean theorem ever did. But it's so true. Don't let someone make you mad. Don't give somebody control over you. If someone can make you mad, if they can offend you, you've now allowed them to rent headspace that's better utilized reflecting on how you can unify with those you have everything in common. Don't let someone have control over you. The only person who should have control over you is Jesus. And the way that he has control over you is taking what he said and doing something with it. Actual application has to take place. So let's be the church. I know the vision for this church when it started over four years ago was to be a movement in this city and in the world to show people that there's a God who loves them, there's a God who cares about them, And there's a God who wants to see them become even greater. And that's why we come together, because we are the ones who share everything in common. And if we operate this way, then God is going to add to our number daily those who are being saved. So let's go, church, because we got a mission to keep. We got a gospel to preach, we got a world to love, but the only way that happens is if we do it together and remember we have everything in common. Jesus came here to live, to teach, to love, and to die and be risen again so that you and I could share everything in common. And then we could live life to the full, here and now, and not just there and then. If you and I believe that, the rest doesn't matter. If you and I believe that, we have everything in common. Thanks so much for listening. We pray God inspires, challenges, and motivates you to become greater through what you've just heard. Again, be sure to check us out at wearetherising.com. Remember, your best days are still ahead.